um, a few weeks ago called the Parables of Jesus. Um, we are not going to be looking at all parables that Jesus taught, but we are going to be looking at a few that I think that are very pressing. Uh, um, there's a few of the parables that have really stood out and meant a lot to me as I have been reading and studying and asking the Lord what He wants to say. When Jesus was um, on the earth and uh, He came in that three-year period of ministry that He did, remember um, before that He you know, was a carpenter, He probably worked with His dad for some years, and then at 30 years old, He's baptized, and he does public ministry from 30 to 33, and then he dies on the cross. And in that three-year period, uh, we somewhat see the ministry side of Christ. It doesn't mean that he wasn't doing any ministry before then. We just don't have much record of what was going on. But he, we know that he's ushering in the kingdom of God. And as he taught, we read about it in the gospel, he is teaching about this, the, the kingdom that he has ushered in. You know, that, that when he is born, remember when we celebrate Christmas and we say he was born king of the Jews. And so he would be king of the Jews. He is the new king ushering in a new kingdom. And so while he was here, obviously he taught, he, he ministered to people, he healed people. There was a lot going on. And then he had these disciples, these followers that he was kind of pouring into um, and that they would then advance his kingdom when he left. Ultimately, if we fast forward enough years, we are here because of the disciples and the, uh, the advancement of the kingdom of God. That is still very much the vision mission of the kingdom of God, still is very much alive, and we are carriers of that. And while he was here, he would tell parables. And we're going to be looking at one today. We're actually in the middle, and I'm not going to read that part of the, 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 the scripture, but I started this out in the series. Remember, the disciples said, Why do you teach in parables these stories? And we all know that when you when you hear a good story, you remember it, don't you? Like if you're like me, uh, when people are trying to teach me something, I do way better in a relational sense. If you think back of your favorite teachers growing up, maybe in school, they had the ability, uh, maybe not even to tell a bunch of stories, but if they were relational in, in, in nature, you learned a lot from them, and they would value them. Jesus would tell these stories. And what these stories would do was to point to the great, a greater truth. And Jesus tells his, his disciples, he said that the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but not others. And so I'll tell the people's stories so that they can have the opportunity to hear and to understand why I came. And so he came, he wanted to awaken the hearts of the people of who he was, why he came, and the truth about the kingdom of God. The last few weeks have been in Luke 15, probably one of the, you know some of the most famous, the most famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son. We were in for a couple of weeks, but before that, at the beginning of Luke 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, that Jesus came for lost people, of which we were, and He came to save us, to redeem us. He came on a rescue mission, and He's revealing in Luke 15. Uh, who he, again, who he is as the Savior, as the rescuer, and why God sent him to the earth. And so today we're going to look at probably maybe the second most famous parable. Um, it's actually the first recorded parable in the book of Matthew, and what we call it is the parable of the sower. Um, this, this, and we're going to read it. You'll be familiar with it, but we're going to kind of dive into it today. And again, asking the Lord 
what he wants to speak. I just call this the sower and the soil. Now, the context of the Gospel of Matthew, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels that tell us the story of Jesus, why he came, um, what he did, and, and there, there's different aspects of the life and the ministry of Christ. Some of them cross over. They will tell us some of the same miracles or the same stories that he told, um, but they kind of have a different perspective. Um, Matthew is the revelation that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and the King of the Jews that was promised. That's why we have a, a you know, a, we have his birth and we have the lineage and Luke tells us of his birth. But that, that this, the book of Matthew is that he is the promised King of the Jews that has come, the good news of the coming to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. And so that is why the parables found in Matthew are predominantly about the kingdom of God. And you'll hear the kingdom is life. The kingdom is life. You hear him say that over and over. Because here's the point. Christianity is about a kingdom, right? It's about a kingdom, and it's about a king in this kingdom. And that Jesus is the central point of the story. Christianity following Christ, we are in the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king, and we are not. It's a good reminder. And the whole, the whole story of redemption, again, you've heard me say this a lot, the whole story of redemption, the story of salvation, where God rescues us out of sinfulness, is our sin is basically us becoming king and queen, if you will, of our own lives. The ruler, the, the authority, I will call it my own self. But Christianity is about recognizing this king, the king of the ages, who came on his rescue mission, became one of us, lived here, died for us. But the, the kingdom is about him. It's about Jesus. The kingdom isn't a kingdom of the earth. It's not an earthly kingdom. And so trying to perceive it or trying to understand the kingdom of God in an earthly mindset, a fleshly mindset, we'll never, we'll never be able to reconcile that. It doesn't make any sense. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's not a kingdom of fleshly force, but it's a counter-culture, spiritual kingdom. It's not about earthly powers, but about spiritual powers. It's not a temporary kingdom that would come and go. As we see leaders, in, back in the old days, leaders would come and would rise and fall and come and go. Jesus is saying, I am establishing an eternal kingdom. It's not a temporary kingdom. It, and it has eternal implications for all of us because we are all eternal beings that will either spend eternity with Christ or away from Christ depending on who we've made king of our lives. It's a kingdom that is established by Jesus, and then it is carried on in and through his followers. It's a kingdom that is not of this world. It is built by counterculture means. And so, kingdoms of the earth, little kingdoms of the earth, they dominate, take over, self-promote, fight to the front of the line, climb the corporate ladder, push people aside, get to the front of the line, right? And God's kingdom, the kingdom of Christ is serving. The Son of Man came to serve, 
not to be stirred. It's a kingdom of laying down his life that he would model that, and then he calls us to it. It's a kingdom that says, I'll take the back seat instead of pushing myself to the front. It is a kingdom that says, by becoming great, I become the least. It is a kingdom that it says, I will be seen by being hidden because I want to be seen by him. That I will let my... I will, I will let my good deeds be, so don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You know what I'm saying? Say, I won't just do my, my stuff in front of people. However, Jesus says, shine the light and let your good deeds be seen of them. But it's not, it's all of the motivation of the heart. If I'm only doing it just to be seen of men, that's a wrong motivation. But we do shine our light right so that people can see Christ in us. It's always pointing to Him. It's a kingdom that itself that, that, that loves self-sacrificially. The word love that gets thrown around, love is love is love. No, the love that we're describing in the kingdom of God is self-sacrificial love. It says, take up the cross, deny your flesh, and follow Christ. He modeled it. We, we follow it. It's not a love based on emotions or our own definition. And so Jesus ushered in this kingdom by how he came, right? He came in lowly, a lowly setting, born in Bethlehem, poor on this silent night that not many people knew about it. He didn't come in pomp and circumstance. He came in humility. It was how he lived. He lived in humility. It was how he died. He died a, a sinner's death, and he took sin, our sinfulness upon himself, and it seemed like the greatest defeat. And the kingdom of God, it looked like it suffered great defeat, yet it was the greatest victory because Jesus defeated death, fall in the grave, and rose again. That's the kingdom. He defeated death. His kingdom also is how he is preparing for eternity. It says, I've gone to go and prepare a place for you, that you will rule and reign with me. And then he passed this kingdom onto his, its ways, his way to his followers, ultimately to us. We are to be carriers of this kingdom. Remember what he told Pilate at his arrest? And my kingdom is not of this world. Because Pilate's saying, So you're a king then? And he said, Yes, my kingdom is not of this world. And I love his confidence. I was just talking about this the other day with, with someone. I love the confidence of Christ. Is what, what, what Pilate says. Pilate says, Do you not know that I have the authority to release you um, or have you crucified? And Jesus looks at him. He says, you have no authority except what was given to you by my Father. The confidence that Christ had is, I came, this is my mission. I came to die for the sins of this world. And Pilate, you really have zero authority. I am a king. My kingdom is not of this earth. You are not the one in charge here. So we are followers of the kingdom. And so he starts his parable. This, the, the, the parable that he taught was one that we will, again, look at one today. And so I encourage you to open up our hearts and our minds to what Christ wants to speak to us through this parable. And again, I don't care if you've heard this a million times. Ask the Holy Spirit, awaken my heart, help me to have a heart that is receptive. And so he tells this parable. I, I love our farmers. You guys love our farmers? You better say yes. A lot of them in the room. I love our farmers, and and Jesus would 
actually he, he taught in the way that they would, people would understand and so they understood this idea of, of farming it and, and, and farmers plant seed. But here's the thing, and, and I'm always amazed because, you know, farmers understand this too. I talk to farmers, it is a, it is a safe venture, right? I mean, even as great as the technology is today, can you imagine like a hundred years ago if they could see what a combine seems like and a tractor that we live would just freak them completely off? And it doesn't matter how, how well the seed is or what kind of things that they're doing with seed or technology or equipment. You can't make that seed grow, right? You do what you do. You can't, farmers understand, you can't make it rain. You can't have the right weather. You can't make the right weather happen. So there's this idea that you put it in the ground by faith, hoping and praying that it will grow. But you can't make it grow. You do your part, right? There's some breaking up of the ground, and we see that. And that's coming. I can't wait for spring. It's getting close. The weather is nice. And that's my southern blood, I don't mind winter, but when it starts getting like March, April, I start getting like itchy. You know what I mean? I just like, let's get some warm weather here. But it's soon that we're, you know, there, there's going to be this preparing of the ground, and then there's going to be seed that goes into the ground. And they do their part, but God does his part. And so this parable that Jesus talks about, it's, it's about obedience, it's about trusting God, it's about the sovereignty of God. So let's look at it. The parable of sower, Matthew 13, verse 1. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got in the boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And so he kind of creating this place where they could hear him. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Verse 5, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because of the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and the, they withered because they had no roots. There was no death. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. So others... He fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what the sun. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And we're going to jump to verse 18. In the middle of that, because he's going to give an explanation of the parable, in the middle of that is where actually it was my first text, is where, the, and I don't have it up there, but where the disciples say, Why do you teach the people in parables? We already talked about that and why he did that. So let's go to verse 18. Because he explains, Listen to them what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. And he tells us what the seed is. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the truth of God. The seed is the kingdom. It's the gospel. It's the message of Christ. And so he's telling us about these stories. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. 
But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands that this is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what is sown. So we have this farmer who is sowing seeds, and we have these different types of soil that the seed falls on. Now, obviously, you know, there's a very methodical way that farmers do it now, and they are, you know, they're pushing the seed into the ground, and you see them, um, and they're going in these tracks back then. These farmers had this bag, and you guys have seen it, and they would just do this, and they're just casting, they're spreading seed around. Now, they, they, they would prepare soil, but they would just cast the seed and spread the seed so as to hopefully find fertile soil. And Jesus is giving them a real story, a real picture of what happens, and he's using it to teach a spiritual truth. And they would spread the seed in hopes of finding fertile soil. And so yes, there was a preparation of soil, there was plowing, but the seed distribution was a win by numbers, right? You spread it around. You cast the seeds over the field. They did it this way because the farmer himself, they didn't know what seeds would find good soil. The more seeds were they would spread, the more opportunity for seeds to find good soil. So you have this farmer, you have this soil, you have seeds. Now Jesus is the ultimate farmer. Again, he ushered in this new kingdom. He ushered in the good news of who he was. The, he was the way of salvation, that his death and his resurrection were the definitive moments of the reality of the kingdom. And he was spreading his message while on the earth. Again, he's ushering it in. Now, the fullness of the kingdom hadn't happened because he, he had to die for the sins of the world and be risen from the dead. But he's already instilling it in them. Remember, there were times when he would say the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into him. So he was telling them what was going to happen. And this was all a part of his kingdom vision and mission. And so while he was here, these parables, his thoughts, he is advancing and teaching the kingdom. So he's the farmer. But so are we. We are also farmers. We are tenant farmers. We're not the owners. God is. But as his followers, he modeled, again, he modeled the kingdom. And that's why, remember, I mean, when he would say to his disciples, come and follow me. Right? And he extends that invitation that as we become a believer, a Christian, a follower of Christ, he said, come to you and me. Come follow me. I'm going to teach you things. I'm going to show you. And when we read how he did things, we read the gospel. That's, that's his model. So if we veer off from his ways, we're not following him. We ultimately, we begin to just lead our own selves and go our own way. And he says, follow me. Follow me. I'm going to show you. We're going to serve. We're going to love. We're going to lay down our lives for others. We're going to love extravagantly. We're going to give. We're going to be generous. We're going to... And he, and he, so he modeled it. We're going to love by laying down our lives. And so we, as his followers, we begin to become the farmers to spread again his message and his kingdom on the earth. The seed, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus. And we're called to be seed spreaders. 
And just as it was in Jesus' time, there were people there that would reject his message. You saw the religious people that were hardened here. They had studied all about and, you know, the Old Testament. They had studied the prophecies of the Messiah. Here's the Messiah in front of them. And he just doesn't look like they think he should look. And they have created a, a, a Messiah in their, in their own image. And so they rejected him. How much can we say that we want Jesus, but then he doesn't look like what we want to know? He's not doing what we think he should do for us. And we can reject him and his message. And so, there, just as it was in the days of Jesus, there will be people that will reject the message. And will people will reject our message as well. But you know what our job is to do? Spread seed. We can help prepare soil through plowing. We can spread seed. We can water seed. But our stress should not be on what type of soil is this person lacking. That's the point of this parable, is that we are supposed to spread seed. We follow our king. We advance his kingdom through word, deed, and action. Here's the thing. And you would think, you know, and I know that Especially farms today, seed is expensive, and we have to, you know, be very methodical. Here's the cool thing: is we have an abundance of seed that never runs out. The gospel is good news for everyone, and so we should be seed spreaders all the time. Your seed's never going to run out. The good news of the gospel of Jesus, His kingdom, is a kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom. You will never run out of seed. We have an abundance of seed. When you think about this, who were the seed spreaders in your life? You know, we're all here right now today, and you know, maybe you're here searching, maybe you're here, you're, you're a doubter, and I'm we're so glad that you're here. We want people here that maybe are wrestling in their faith, but if you're walking with the Lord, you've been walking with the Lord, you think about it, there are seed spreaders in your life. Remember those, those people? Or maybe something that happened, maybe there were things that happened that caused the seed to fall on your heart. But we all have seed spreaders that were in our lives. I can remember people in my life, influential people, that, that, that maybe they didn't even realize that they were spreading seed. Some people were more purposeful maybe to do something, but sometimes it was just, just their lives, just being around them, that they were just seed spreaders. I had a couple of friends that I've shared about before, you know, um, one was in high school, one was I, I worked with, and these two guys were very influential seed spreaders in my heart, in my growth, in my, in, in my love for the Lord. I grew up, again, I grew up in church, almost literally, every time the church doors were over, we were there. I grew up, I had a knowledge of God, but again, my heart was far from it, I got cynical, I hate, you know, it was legalistic, and so I rejected that stuff, and my heart became cynical and hardened. But there were influential people in my life, and two in particular, that sowed seed in my heart. That I'm thankful to God that it ultimately that it found fertile soil. Maybe not at first, but it found good soil in my heart. These guys modeled what it means to be a believer. They weren't perfect, but they just they loved the Lord. There was a consistency to their faith. They were they just were faithful. They didn't. They weren't riding up and down waves, you know, just this and that. They were just steady in their walk with the Lord, and they were just encouraging. They didn't have to shove a Bible down my throat or pound me on the head with doctrine. They just simply loved God, and their lives were 
speak to me and it spreads me to my heart. So Jesus talks about the farmer. He's the ultimate farmer. We are his tenant farmers. And then he talks about this soil. So we're going to look at the soil now. First of all, it's the palms. Seed that fell on the path. And, and Jesus says that as he was gathering the seeds and fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. In verse 19, he gives us the explanation now. He said, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And so the path would have been where people walked in that day, like next to a field, where maybe there was a path along side the field, which was maybe a part of the field, but then there was seed that would fall on that part, but it was pressed down, it was hardened, and seed could not penetrate the soil. The people that Jesus is describing here have hardened hearts. Now again, Jesus is telling the story to us, but he's also speaking the story to all of us. And let me, let, let, let me pause here. Any of us can be at any time any one of these souls. We can walk with the Lord, but we can fall into hard-heartedness very easy. And he says, people here have hardened hearts. So they don't understand, you know, the, the, maybe the Word of God, the message of God is offensive to them. And, and it says, like, the, like that bird, the enemy snatches away what was... What had gone in. These people can sometimes maybe overthink it or over philosophize the simplicity of the gospel. Sometimes people, these people can be religious spirited people where it becomes very religion driven and they, there's no joy in it. They get hardened hearts. It can be people who have been hurt by the church. Or they were taught poor doctrine and things didn't happen the way they thought they should or would. You hear, might, might hear people like this that says, if God is so loving, then why did He allow this? And they have those big questions in life. Atheists, agnostics can fall into this category. Not, it's not just atheists, folks. But it's offense with God. Maybe they feel like God is hard. And this seed falls on this hardened ground and it's snatched away. And if you've run, maybe you've run into people like this, and maybe they, 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 they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear what you have to say about Christ, the gospel. They might even look down at you. Maybe you don't even have to share anything. They just kind of know you're a believer and they don't like you. Here's what 2 Corinthians 2 says about it. Paul is saying this. He says, to some we are a fragrance, right? When you're walking with Christ, it's like, what? Whatever you have, I want. And it says to others, we defense of death. Guess what? We don't get to control what we smell like to other people. Right? To some, you're a fragrance. And that may, maybe somebody's heart's coming alive to the things of God. Somebody might be hardened. But we don't get to make that call. Let me say this. Please don't be despised or allow Christianity to be despised for the wrong reason. In other words, don't be a jerk. Is that pretty plain? Don't be persecuted for the wrong reasons. If you're going to be persecuted, be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Sometimes the church has done some damage. The things we say, judgmental attitudes, wrong spirit, operating in a wrong spirit. Be persecuted 
if they're going to hate, if they're going to hate the message, make sure it's the right message. So what do we do with people like this? That again, what what are we called to do? Spread the seed. Spread the seed. Doesn't matter if it's hard and ground or not. What do we do with the, the type the people that are this type of soil? We pray for them. We pray for their hearts, that their hearts would be softened. We pray for childlike faith. Look at a couple of scriptures in there. Uh, go to the next time. Look at what Jesus did. We need to pray. We need to pray for this for our own hearts, and we need to pray for others. Too. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like a little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Because a lot of times people, the, the philosophy of the day, the, you know, we, people live up here and it's so heady and, well, the gospel, you know, the, the Christianity, that just doesn't make sense. And people are way, they feel like they're way up here intelligently and they over-philosophize everything. And Jesus is saying, well, once you understand this by the faith of a child, you can't enter it. So we need to pray for childlike faith. And then here's what he says in Ezekiel. Um, this is obviously this is the, the prophet Ezekiel talking to hardened Israel. And, and Israel is kind of a picture of us. God's chosen one, chosen people, and they would harden their hearts sometimes, right? Jesus, and God says, I will, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take your heart out your stony stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, a heart flesh. Because we can pray for those people. Some, some of you guys in here, that was your story. You had a hard heart, and you were rejecting the things of God. You didn't want to hear it. But something happened. There was some plowing that happened. And the seed found soil. What are we called to do? Just spread the seed and pray for the heart. Pray for hearts. Pray those plowing prayers. Because here's the thing. God can change the soil. The Holy Spirit can change the soil. Write that in your notes. Hashtag God. God can change the soil at any time. Number two, the rocky places. Moving quickly. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil spring up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered, and they withered because they had no root. Verse 20, Jesus tells us, he says, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. But since they don't have any roots, they last only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This soil represents those who don't have deep roots. They are shallow. It's like the kindling wood of a fire. It's quick. But you know what? If you're, if you're building a fire, you better get some logs in there. The flash pan fire does not help you. And these are people that, 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 that receive it quickly but there's not much soil and, it, and, 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 and there's no depth of root there. Here's the thing, though. It has the appearance of life and excitement, doesn't it? That's what Jesus said. They receive it with joy. Maybe they've had an emotional experience in church or at a conference or at a camp. They're seemingly fired up. God, I love you. I'll give everything to you. I just love you so much. And then two weeks later, it's, I don't know if I even love God anymore. And there's not much to show for it. They respond quickly. People in this category, they can find themselves chasing maybe spiritual highs, emotional experiences only. Not that God doesn't touch us emotionally sometimes. 
sometimes you can chase that. It becomes like spiritual drug addiction. I have to just go get an emotional high. But they keep crashing, and their walk with the Lord is like a roller coaster. That was me. That was a description of me. The shallow Christianity, shallow roots. Maybe these folks, again, it's, 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 a, it's a quick response to the Lord. Maybe you have, you're going through a horrible time. Maybe consequences have driven you to, God, if you get me out of this, Lord, help me. And I respond quickly to the Lord. And then all of a sudden I get over the other side and things are good. I'm good. I'm good. I got it from here. Don't need God anymore. I'll take it from here. And we forget our desperation, our need of God. Shallow. Can appear like life. Or trouble comes. Persecution comes. Maybe you're embarrassed by to be a believer by, by co-workers or friends or unbelievers. They are like, you're a Christian, you're what? And you can be ashamed of God. And remember what Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. Be unashamed of Him. Maybe this describes you. Maybe you're up and down and maybe there's not... And God, God wants you to have deep roots, a mature believer to walk with the Lord and that you can walk with Him no matter if things are great or things are hard. That's what Paul said. I've learned to be content. I've learned to find my my life in Christ, it doesn't matter the ups and the downs, the, the circumstances of life, I'm not going to be dictated or driven by that. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. And I'm going to grow deep into Him. And if this is you, I'm telling you, the answer is complete surrender to Christ in every area of your life. That was, again, my story. But pray for those like this. Pray that they would be a surrender to Jesus. That Jesus, He wants all of you, not just a part his kingdom is not halfway kingdom. He wants you to follow him during the mundane, the average day. And this is where the true sense of being his follower is realized. I love Oswald Chambers, if you read my utmost. One of his says is he says, it's found in the revelation of the kingdom is found among ordinary days, among ordinary people. It's not just living from one emotional experience to the next emotional experience, and that's your life. It's saying, I'm faithful. My roots are deep. I'm walking with God. Years of walking with faithfulness. Faithfulness is the new radical. Not, I get all fired up, and I'm fired up, and we go, ooh, that person's fired up. Let's put them up on stage. And then, you know, a year later, they're not even walking with God anymore. Three. Among the thorns, Jesus says, other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. And verse 22 gives us the explanation. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. This soil represents those who are still clinging to this world, allowing culture to dictate them instead of Jesus' word and his kingdom. Guys, we are inundated with culture. We live in it. We can't get out of it. The only way you're going to escape culture is when you die and go be with the Lord. That's why we be in the world, but not of the world. 
That's why Jesus could control the spiritual atmosphere where he went, and he did not have the cultural influences controlling him. And in culture, you watch the news that tells you what you need. You have to have. You need to look a certain way. You need to be a certain way. You need to have a certain income. You need to have this stuff to be happy. And your contentment is found in this, 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 and this. And we live our lives trying to be so desperate to find something in culture that will appease us. And it never does. The only problem is the people that try to feed us this in culture it's not like that they're walking it out and, and modeling it for us. They're some of the most unhappy, most unsatisfied, but yet they tell us, look this way, be this way, operate this way. And Jesus said, these are thorns that will choke the life of Christ, the gospel out of you, clinging to culture, the worries of this life. Sometimes the worries of this life, the other things they can choke, maybe suffering. Things that happen that you thought, you know, God, I will, again, I will love you if you will do this. And maybe things are not operating or, or, or God's not answering the way you thought. And then the worries of this life, is, and you turn and say, well, if God doesn't answer that prayer, then I'm, I'm going to just move along here. The deceitfulness of wealth, because it can be deceitful, Right? It doesn't matter if you have, you know, people that have little. If I just had this, if I just had that, then I would be happy. That's why you can, you can take somebody that makes six figures, and you can take someone that makes poverty-level money, and they can both still live paycheck to paycheck, right? Struggling through paycheck to paycheck. And both of them are saying, if I could only get to that next income level, just that next problem is, is then our spending goes up, and then we're trying to find something to content our hearts. And Jesus says, this kind of thing, the worries, the distinctness above the culture, it will choke the life of Christ right out of you. The thorns choking what is life there. Because here's the thing about this one. There's an idea that there's still life there, right? Something's getting choked out. There is life getting choked out. And so we're growing in the Lord, and we have to guard our hearts because we're growing in the Lord, and the deceitfulness of riches that culture will dictate and it will choke out that life. Living for the things of the world instead of the kingdom of God. Prioritizing things above your walk with Jesus. Do we have our walk with Christ somewhere down on the list? You know, we do this, 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 and in my busyness, and if I have time with God, I will sit in. If I have time to go to church, but other stuff, if I have time, I will, I will mark it in. I will try to get it. instead of saying, Jesus, you are my one and only, and I'm living for your kingdom, I'm living for you. Everything else will fall underneath that. It doesn't mean that we have to, you know, live in a a stack somewhere. It doesn't mean that we can't have uh, enjoy the things of this life, but it doesn't rule us, does it dictate us, does it push us as opposed to, to the kingdom of God and what Christ said. What drives you? What drives you? If something right now in your life is choking out the Word of God, the Gospel, the priority of the kingdom of God, the reality of Christ, and if this is you, I encourage you to repent, to allow God to transform you. 
by changing the way you think, the way you live, the way you prioritize it, you would fall before him and say, Lord, I have had these things before you, and I want you to lead me. And then Jesus talks about the good soil, and we're going to finish with this. Still other seeds fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times over the stone. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 23, Jesus said, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands that this is the one who produces the crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times over the stone. Because the goal is to have a crop, right? The goal is to be fruitful. The goal is to in our own hearts have a have a life that is fruitful that produces a crop in our own lives. So how does this happen? Well, how does our farmers grow? You know, there is a there's time, right? You don't just plant seeds. In our culture, we want instantaneous. You don't plant seeds and say, okay, next week I'm going to pull it out of the ground. It's ready to go. Right? You still eat. You plant it. There's nurturing. There's time. There's investment. The farmers do what they can do. You can't make it grow. You can't make it rain. But you do what you know to do. There is a nurturing of the seed. So, how does it happen to produce time, long-term faithfulness? And I know, I know this doesn't sound like, oh, that sounds, man, sign me up. This doesn't sound like camp. Long-term faithfulness is the theme of camp, you know. We never have that as a theme of camp. You know, fired up. 2016 camp. Cool life in Jesus, 2016 middle school camp. If you ever put up long term time faithfulness camp, 2016 would be like two kids. That doesn't sound fun at all. But guys, this is the kingdom commitment to God, commitment to Jesus, devotion, commitment to Him, commitment to others, commitment to the scene. Profound dedication that Christ has called us to. That's why I'm impressed when I look around and I see people that, you know, they just faithfully, year after year, they're walking with God. They're just walking with God. It's something solid, stable. And that's the life that God has called us to. It's not that, that, it's not that He doesn't do the cool things and the awesome things. We've seen the gospel, we've the miracles, we can touch and we can. And he can instantaneously do stuff, and we can pray and ask for miracles. I'm not saying any of that, but what I'm saying is, as we cultivate this life in Christ, it's a long term faithfulness. Because when we live this kind of life, when we do our part, and He does His part, notice that it's all about Him, and then all of a sudden we're fruitful 30, 60, 100 times more than what was known. I like how you know, that Jesus is giving us a distinct. He doesn't just say a hundred times more than what it's done. He gives, there's 30, there's 60, there's 100. You know what? The yield is not up to us. Right? The faithfulness is. A farmer, as you guys, when the harvest time comes, you know, if you've had a little bit of, you know, maybe there was some dryness, maybe there was a little damage right here and there, we're praying none of that happens to you guys. And, if you don't go out there and say, oh, it looks like it's only going to be 50%, I'm not going to do anything out of it. You are, you are rejoicing for the 
you're rejoicing to bring in a crop. And so Jesus says you get 30, 60, 100 times what is sown. And that's what he's saying is don't compare yourself to others. Be faithful. We are on mission with God. I, I, I've, I've been guilty of this. I remember praying these prayers over young people when I was a youth pastor. But God's got an awesome plan for your life. He wants you to be a leader. Of, he wants you to be a pastor, minister to all your... It's wrong. Maybe not. But you try to pray these fired up prayers and make this kid excited about God. Because again, that, that sounds like, you know, God called you to be a missionary to Africa. You're going to minister to people and a million people are going to get saved. As opposed to, I think God's called you to be a faithful worker, a faithful dad. Like, get your hands off me, man. That doesn't sound cool at all. But maybe that's what God's called you to do. We have this hierarchy thing in the kingdom, right? Jesus said, don't do that. Well, the pastor, that's the ultimate spiritual gift. No, it isn't. Believe me, it isn't. Some days you're like, man, can I do something else? It's a privilege and it's an honor, but it's just one of many roles. That's why in the book, The Final Quest, you know, Rick Joyner writes this book. Um, he has a series of visions. It's pretty profound. I wouldn't, you know, it's not, not equating it to scripture, but there are some profound things that came out of it. He had this, he said, I went into, uh, during this vision, he said, I got to go into the throne room of God, like uh, in heaven, where there's, he said, I saw more praying moms and grandmas that no one knew their name in the throne room of heaven. And he's looking around. And Jesus says to him in this vision, he says, we don't measure things here the way you measure them on the earth. And some of these people that were, they spent their life in hiddenness. No one knew their name. They weren't famous preachers. But they were faithful to God and they saw a lot of fruit. Don't diminish what God has called you to that we get to be and allowing God to say, I'm going to lead you to God and go, he's the king, we're not, it's in his kingdom, I'm just going to be faithful. And if that's being a faithful husband, father, mom, a faithful teacher, a faithful worker sitting in a cubicle, that cubicle is the kingdom of God. That death is the kingdom of God. And sometimes we can be thinking that, oh man, if I could just do this or do that, and it feels like a waste, and I wish I don't do that unless God directs you. Just like Paul, Paul wrote from prison. You know, if we're, we're all sitting there, if we were a part of a committee, we'd say, God, get Paul out. He can do way more for you if he's traveling around preaching. But the majority of his ministry, all these letters he wrote from prison. And guess what now what we're reading in Scripture, the stuff that he wrote from prison, and it's producing fruit. It's not a waste. Don't despise for God has you. And then I'm going to finish with this. Listen to what Paul says. He said, if you're still controlled by your sinful nature, um, and, and he's rebuking the Corinthians here, he said, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. That's a good way to start. Bang. Be encouraged. Um, he said, you're jealous of one another. There's a lot of this comparing going on. And, and he said, you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like the people of the world? And so you see his parallel with what Jesus is talking about, about seed, worldly stuff. He said, we're controlled by the things of this world. He said, well, one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul. Another says, I'm a follower of Paul. I'm Baptist. I don't care. I'm Methodist. I don't care. I, and we have all these things. I'm of this and I'm of that. You know, Paul was the man. No, Apollos was the man. 
No, this person's the man. He said, aren't you acting like people of the world? After all, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? That's what Paul's saying. I'm nothing. Why are you guys doing this? We are only God's servants for whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. If that is, don't get anything else, that's scripture. Each one of us did what the Lord gave us. It's His kingdom, He's the King. Verse 6. I planted the seed in your heart. Apollos watered it, but what? It was who that made it grow? God that made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. That's a bit of relief there, isn't it? It's not about us. We just do what God calls It's not, so he said, it's not important that the planting or the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose that both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's worker and you are God's field. You are God's building. Be faithful to that which God has called you to do. Go and spread seed. Guys, we should be joyful. You cannot run out of seed. Every day is an opportunity to spread seed. Just like that farmer, throw it out. Your bag will never get empty. Jesus and His kingdom, the gospel message of Christ, never gets old. It never gets empty. Go out and spread seed. Pray for the different hearts and the different soils of the people that you come in contact with. If they're angry with you, if they're hardened hearts, pray for them. Love them. Because God can change the soil. Pray. Plow the ground. Water the seed. Be faithful. Be devoted to the King and His kingdom. And here's, all, here's, here's another thing. Here's a warning. Guard your own heart. Here's what Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows out of it. Guard your own heart because we can get hardened. Right? Our hearts can get hardened. We can become like the soil on the side of the path. And we can get hard and we can get bitter. And the life of Christ just can't penetrate anymore. And we get cynical of the things of God and get hard at what's going on. We've got to guard our hearts to the soil of our own hearts, that the, the, the culture and the cares and the, the wealth of this world uh, being driven by culture can sneak in at any time. Be careful. Guard your heart. Or we can go through hardships or hard circumstances and our hearts can get cold to the things of God. Guard your heart, guard your soil, and spread seed. We stand with you. Jesus, we love you, and uh, God, again, we praise you and thank you for who you are. Jesus, thank you that you're the king, and your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. I pray that, God, we would live as workers in your kingdom, that we would be seed spreaders wherever we go, Lord, in our workplace, at school, Lord, at the store, at the gas station, to our neighbors, Lord, that we have an abundance of seed that we would just spread in joy. Lord, knowing that we have, we never run out. God, that we pray for the people in this region that you call us to be, that you call us as the kingdom of God for such a time as this, at this time in history. God, we pray for the people in our midst, God, those with hardened hearts, those, Lord God, who are dictated by the wealth of this world, those who are going through hardship, God, maybe. Uh, Lord, they've heard wrong things about you. God, we pray for the hearts of people that they would be fertile soil so that, God, we can see a harvest of souls come to know you because, Lord, you love people so much. God, help us to be faithful to that which you call us. 
We'd be faithful sellers. We'd be faithful waterers. Working in the kingdom of God for the joy, for the fame, for the glory of Jesus. God, we also pray for the food upstairs. God, we ask that you would bless us to our bodies. Thank you, God.